You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Since that one simple sentence, fans have on different levels been obsessed about thinking, what was the Clone Wars? idea of doing a animated TV series was intriguing to me because it really did allow me to broaden the, the, the canvas of what Star Wars is about. Hello and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host Charlotte. Hey everyone, I'm your other host Caitlin and welcome to the Phantom Apprentice episode. I can't, you guys. Mm. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I- I I feel like every episode for the Clone Wars, we've just spent too long at the top end being like, whoa, wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's exactly how I feel right now, and I know all of you did too. <laughs> because if you didn't, you probably died from the impact of it, so you can't even be listening to this because you're just like, whoa. <laughs> this episode was so much. I'm still reeling. I've watched it twice. I'm still like, wow, this is there's so much to mine here. And we're not even gonna be able to do it all because this is going to be I tweeted this, but this is gonna be an episode that we return to all the time. I feel like it's so for me, the Phantom Apprentice has a couple of personal bests. I think this was potentially some of Ashley Eckstein's best voice work. Um, the Mm -hmm. amazing direction, the tracking shots were unparalleled. I think this has the best animated lightsaber fight right up there. I think the lighting lighting was perfect. Best lighting. The pacing was also perfect. The cuts, the music was great. I was like, (laughs) next level animated TV show. Holy man. Like this is, this was a movie. And I think that we all know this going into it, but that the Siege of Mandalore is basically shot like a movie, the way that it's part one, part two. But I, I, oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it, it really is. (laughs) It's, yeah, watching it, I, I just, I spent the whole time just sitting straight up and down and my heart was pounding the whole time about what was coming next. And I think the thing that sets this episode apart is that it is such an information overload. And even though, like you mentioned, Charlotte, the pacing of the episode is a lot, like is is really well done because it does have some fantastic action sequences, but there is just so much being said and spoken. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much to shift through, sift through, and mine through. It it who um, we're not gonna be able to talk about everything in this episode. Just an FYI, and I think that's important to remember. You know about like oh, are you guys gonna talk about this? Or are you gonna talk about that? Like when are we gonna have time to discuss this thing? Fill in the blank or whatever, because this is still part two of four. And I feel like as with so much of how we talked about The Last Jedi, it was like, remember, this is the darker middle chapter. And like, it's weird, again, thinking about like, this is a four episode arc. It is a film. We're effectively in the darker middle chapter of the darker middle <laughs> chapter of the story. <laughs> like, <laughs> It <laughs> kind of messes with your mind a little bit. So there are a lot of things in here that are going to be completely thrown into a new light once we get parts three and four. 
Um, especially because like it's all the same writer. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all going to be consistent. Um, and so it, I think it's, it's going to be great to come back and revisit the whole thing like a movie, watch it all at once to be able to pick up on all the things that we haven't noticed yet, like these threads that are going to be so obvious in part four that were laid in this part two and part one that we just don't even recognize yet. And then be able to see even some of the things that we're picking up on now in a completely new light and how they can just have a completely new meaning once we get to part four to the last chapter. It's going to be really Yeah, fun. for sure. I think that you've said it really well. I, I don't know how... <laughs> Before Caitlin and I started recording, there's a couple of texts that we send each other about like, wow, there's just so much here. And I think that it's daunting as a podcaster to be like, I want to talk about all of it and we're just not going to be able to do that. But I, I think that it's also you're so right about the darker middle chapter thing. I think that this episode could have fallen into the trap of too much information overload also. But it didn't. It didn't feel like th- this episode was exposition, exposition, exposition. It was, here's this really important nugget that could change your entire view of the way Revenge of the Sith is. <laughs> and also, here's this awesome fight scene. And all of the things, I think it worked so well. I really have to give a cowboy hats off to Dave Filoni because I really do think oh my God. <laughs> the the writing was perfect. I think this was one of his best written things we've ever seen from him. It really felt so well done. I don't know. I, I feel like it really we could have been. And while, yes, we do feel overloaded with information, I think this is Caitlin and I being like, wow, there's so much awesome stuff here. At the same time, I think mm-hmm. it was, wow, this was really a earth-shattering, mind-bending episode, and they balanced it all perfectly. I think, yeah, this is another one of those episodes where my mind is running a mile a minute about, and I'm, I feel like I'm tripping over my words a lot already, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we haven't even really started yet. But I think that this, this whole thing – Like about it being an information overload, I think for some people, maybe it does run the risk of having too much information in it. But I think that it's because these episodes in particular are just, they're so set apart in that they're within Revenge of the Sith now. And I think you and I were both surprised to actually get like a timestamp at the beginning with Obi-Wan of where we actually were in Revenge of the Sith. I I really wasn't expecting that. And so I think that it feels so much more like an information overload because we're putting the pieces together ourselves as well. And the episode is doing that too. And so that even though these conversations are flowing really organically, they're dropping so many more familiar story beats that we're able to latch on to immediately. Like, you know, of course, the obvious one of Obi-Wan saying, it's time for me to head to Utapau. I've got to get Grievous. And you're like, I, I screamed <laughs> when I watched that. I was like, oh, they really told us. They really told us where we are. <laughs> and then your mind just starts going into overtime just be like okay so if he's going to Utapau this is where he is that like this this is Revenge of the Sith Obi-Wan like has he seen Anakin for the last time like your mind just starts doing all of these things and I think that that makes it feel so much more like an overload because it is flowing so well into Revenge of the Sith in a way that the rest of the Clone Wars 
could never do because like we weren't at this juncture in the story (laughs) and like the ties are just so strong because they have to be because of where we are in the timeline and they're making sure that you know where we are in the timeline and I think it's also them setting up this tone for the end of the series that Revenge of the Sith does as well. Everything is about foreboding in Revenge of the Sith. And I think that Dave is really cognizant of setting up that similar tone in these last sets of episodes that you're supposed to feel everything slipping away from us <laughs> because it is. You laugh and like- I cry. <laughs> I think it's like it's again it's like the thing of how Star Wars has made the machine of it and how uh, like going into Revenge of the Sith you know it's the end you know that this is the tragedy it's like Charlotte and I were reading um, Charlotte sent me very kindly the Revenge of the Sith making of book which I've really enjoyed so far but there like in one of the parts George Lucas like had this headline that he spoke in Australia or something like in like 2003 or something like two years before Revenge of the Sith actually came out he's like yeah the good guys lose the bad guys win and it was like this major headline (laughs) and that was two years before the movie came out and it's like you have the director being like yep that's what it's about and we know that that's what this story is about and it just it makes everything feel so much more frantic I think and it's supposed to but we'll talk about it throughout this episode this episode had such like lovely moments of pause in it and it's yeah like the pacing is just balanced really well and I think that Dave knows like Dave knew and like the and everyone in Lucasfilm animation knew that to up the ante in these episodes you have to make it really tangible to Revenge of the Sith because that's how Revenge of the Sith works as well. I don't know. It just it like I imagine that there was a lot of conversation about like what we've been talking about like okay, how much information are we going to give about how close we are to Revenge of the Sith or where we are in the Revenge of the Sith timeline and they're like no, we're going to tell you time, we're going to timestamp it for you. <laughs> and that just that just puts the stress level off the charts, right? As opposed to them like if we hadn't had that timestamp at all, we would feel I think it would have a very a, a different energy than it does knowing that like Obi-Wan is about to say goodbye to Anakin for the last mm. time. Mm. Mm. Ouch. Yeah. Anyway, I totally agree with you. The pressure cooker is on. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Anyway, this episode is called The Phantom Apprentice and it was directed by Nathaniel Villanueva. And it was written by Dave Filoni. Um, I kind of wanted to take a second to talk about the title before we jump into our parts. I think this title is probably the most interesting title that we've gotten throughout uh, the Clone Wars, especially season seven, because it smashes things together that we're familiar with and kind of turns them on their head. Caitlin, what did you think of this title? The title was really good. Of course, it's very ominous. I think we're all kind of picking up on like the the nuances to it it's almost like a fortune cookie itself where it feels very obvious but then you start thinking about it some more and you're like yeah it's obvious but it's really good (laughs) because the phantom apprentice right we're talking about the phantom menace of course there's that tie and a lot of this episode was spent talking about Sidious who is the phantom menace in the phantom menace (laughs) but then we have the phantom apprentices which are Maul and Ahsoka and they're both ghost apprentices in a way of their respective orders that rejected them but then we also have the phantom apprentice who is anakin and maul tells ahsoka that and she flat out chooses 
like thinks he's lying, but Anakin is the Phantom Apprentice who's kind of mo- like the possibility of that in Ahsoka's mind is what's motivating her throughout this episode. Um, it's what's pushing her, this like ghostly idea <laughs> that – that Maul could have a vision like that. Yeah, it's so uh, – this is one of those titles that applies to so many different characters, and I love when Star Wars titles do that. It makes for a really impactful narrative, I think, uh, especially when – I don't know. I feel like these Clone Wars episodes specifically has put character over spectacle. The spectacle has been fantastic, to quote Adam Driver. Really beautiful, but I think that the character moments in these episodes, especially in the Caesar Mandalore arc, have been – top notch and it really does relate to me to this this title that like you say is like a fortune cookie it's the way that we understand these character motivations these moments that are really guiding the episode Mm -hmm. this episode i think in particular this episode gave me the like rogue one feeling Mm -hmm. (laughs) of all these things coming together from other pieces and again that's just adding to the energy of it all of uh, like oh my god the pressure cooker right and it's like most things it's built on what's come before and it's it feels it's like the phantom apprentice right we immediately you're like yes the phantom menace but they didn't call it the phantom menace you know it wasn't a one-to-one thing it's like you take one piece of of something that's come before and you add on to it with new meaning and we all know that like anakin was set to become vader to become like the apprentice for the phantom menace in the future and like we all draw those connections and that makes sense but then we have this added layer of maul and ahsoka which wasn't present in 1999 i mean maul was of course but you guys get what i'm saying here of like the duality of the two of them in this episode adds another layer onto this title the phantom apprentice that is built off of the phantom menace and then kind of built off of the original trilogy in anakin being the apprentice to sidious yeah it just – it does it really well. We talk a lot about, like, Easter eggs and fan service and stuff like that and the films that do it better than others. And Rogue One was always one that I thought did it pretty well. Um, there are some moments that are a little heavy-handed, but I never – like, I think a lot of us think of Rogue One as, like, the fans movie mm-hmm. because it it tends to balance it pretty well, I think. And I think that the, these episodes have done that really well in Clone Wars too. And, again, it's, like – because of where we are in the timeline. I'm just going to keep saying that. Where are we in the timeline? Where we are in the timeline. (laughs) It's so important. It's so important. It is. (laughs) So important. Okay, well, I think that this is where we're going to say that we're not doing a bonus part one because there's just so much to talk about and it felt kind of like we're slowing things down because we all want to just dive straight into the story and characters. So that's what we're going to do. In part one, we're going to be discussing the story. And in part two, the character. And that's it. There's no part three. (laughs) So without further ado, let's get started. So that, of course, was my main focus, is making a Star Wars that George Lucas was proud of, obviously proud enough to want to put it up on the big screen, and we're all thrilled about that. But, uh, you know, hey, fans are passionate, and whether they say for good or for ill about anything, any aspect of it, it's because they love it. You know, they 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 want it to be good. They want it to it. To, they feel an ownership over Star Wars at this point, and I respect that. I mean, in both directions. You know, I I respect the good things I've heard, and I respect when fans says, Ah, why is it animated? Yeah, okay, I get it. But you know, give it a chance and check it out, and I think they'll be surprised because I'm a fan and I like it. Okay, so welcome to part one, where we're discussing the story. Let's just start off with the timeline because <laughs> you can't stop talking about the timeline, Caitlin. The fact that the timeline was referenced in this episode makes everything 
so crazy. You're like looking at sunsets. You're looking at (laughs) where we are in the days. Everything is so wild. It's wild. It it really is. I I feel like I've already said so much on this topic. <laughs> but it it is like last week in our part one, we were talking about the possibility of Anakin and Ahsoka having another conversation, either through hologram or comlink. And we, my like galaxy brain idea, like speculation was like, okay, but what would happen if Ahsoka talked to Anakin after he had turned to the dark side? Okay, well, in this episode, we have a timestamp that Anakin has not turned to the dark side yet, at least at the start of the episode. And it, like, kind of like Obi Wan is like, you should talk to Anakin. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm just saying that it could happen. Uh, it's, yeah. Them, I like I said, I, I was so surprised that they told us that Obi Wan was like, I'm on my way to Utapau. <laughs> And, you know, talking about Anakin's mission that he'd just been given with the council, it just, it really does, it really does turn the heat up on everything that's happening to be able to more or less track with Revenge of the Sith. It just, it really does. And and we discussed last week about if the Siege of Mandalore was going to do something similar with the lighting, the way that Revenge of the Sith does. And it did. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it did. It did. <laughs> I mean, I think that it was pretty clear once we got to the throne room when it's nighttime, whereas starting off at the beginning when Aunt, when Ahsoka is talking to Obi-Wan, it's still daytime. It's still light outside. Uh, of course, we'll talk about how we started in the sewers of this episode and then kind of made our way back all the way up to the top, like literally going from the bottom all the way to the top mm. <laughs> in this episode. It's a good trajectory. And Okay. Also, again, my mind is just going so fast. I'm sorry. Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> just, oh, like a train wreck. Um, if you have not listened to our mall episode that we just put out with Katie, stop listening to this episode and go listen to that first because Katie at Poha Dameron on Twitter, she – wow, she got so many things right. It's just the way that she knows this character mall is just – it's incredible. <laughs> and you really should listen to that episode. She drops so much knowledge and uh, good speculation that's basically canon about Maul and where she thought he was going to go in these next couple episodes of the Siege of Mandalore. And she has already been so on point. So please go listen to it. She does such an incredible job talking about the character. And it like I went back and listened to our episode two more times. <laughs> just to hear her talk about it (laughs) i like skipped to all of her parts um because when i was watching this episode of the clone wars i could just hear her voice in the back of my head and i was like oh my god she was so right about so much so please go listen to her but in that episode we talked about this sisyphusian myth Mm -hmm. um that is maul and sam whitweer has talked about this too about them going all the way about you know the myth of sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill only for it to come rolling back down he never actually makes it all the way to the top and how maul is very similar to that and it's interesting how we have maul going from the gutters in this episode all the way to the top just about to be rescued and he literally falls back down and is captured oh my god i hadn't even thought about that yeah, I, I get my mind rolling a mile a minute. It, like, just hit me. <laughs> um, so it just, again, like, these these things, that, like, this roller coaster, I think that's what these next two episodes are going to do. It's really going to take us on a 
on an almost like almost they could make it almost Ahsoka agreed to help Maul and then it just it, the boulder rolls back down and because this is Maul's like piece of the story it's not going to be successful it's just it works really well but with the lighting we do start out in daytime once Ahsoka is up in the throne room and then by the time they've risen all the way up to the throne room we have the explosions which mirror the colors of sunset it all comes crashing through we've got a great last Jedi parallel which we'll be discussing as well and then by the time we get all the way up to the top where Maul is captured it's pretty much dark and it's mm. dark yeah it's dark it's dark I think it's interesting too just to expand on that we actually descended on Mandalore in the last episode so we went down and now we're going back up it's so interesting how uh, I, I don't know. Are we going to continue this uh, almost roller coaster of going down, then going up, and then going down, and then going up, you know? Because that's exactly the the kind of trajectory that we're on here. I would even say that Revenge of the Sith kind of follows that we're going down, <laughs> even, you know, the ship crashing onto Coruscant, and then everything just kind of descending, descending, descending. And then mm-hmm. you have this, like, moment of hope at the end of the movie that really does bring you up, send you on your way. And I think that it's... I don't know. I, I there's probably something even musically that is happening with the with the tones as well. Um, but I that's a really interesting thing about the Sisyphus myth and um, how Maul really. There's something I really can't get out of my head, and I want to talk about it now before we move on. But I I can't get over how much like spider imagery there was in this episode and maybe it's just me that noticed this but I think that the fact that we have Maul who's like he was cut in half and then he had spider legs and he was you know foraging in the garbage and everything and living through this like you know this horror and he had these spider legs that allowed him to kind of rebuild reforage and um, come back to the surface and at the end of it, we have some like a glass shattering that almost looks like a web to me. And then as Maul is suspended in the air, he's wrapped up in 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 this, uh, you know, this rope that he's tied in. But it almost is like silk and he's suspended there like prey within a web. And just to kind of further this idea of the spider's web and being caught in 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 the middle of all of this, it, it seems so pointless because Maul is the the thing about this episode is Maul's super right. I think that he has uh he's he's a dark side user, so obviously he takes things a little too far. But what he tells Ahsoka is as as a as an audience member who understands the way the Star Wars saga works and what we know about Maul's character and everything and Ahsoka's character and Anakin and where things go, you're like, Yep, that's correct, but wow, that's a tragedy. And I think that even just by capturing Maul, which is something that Anakin couldn't do for Dooku, it seems like there is no right answer here about what to do with these foes. Instead, we have him suspended in the air being taken by, like, suspended for a little bit before they, like, reel him in to the ship, you know? It it does, like, for sure resemble him being caught in the spider's web, which, of course, is not where you want to be. So instead, we have someone who used to be a spider, right? Like, it's kind of crazy even to say, to being turned straight into the prey. And it, it to go back to the Sisyphus myth, it really feels like 
he can't win. He <laughs> he had these these legs before that helped him rise to the surface, even though they were, uh, you know, something that he hated. He hated about himself that he had he had this right that Obi Wan allowed him to become this, and in turn, Obi Wan and Sidious to let the let the apprentice, um, you know, die in the garbage, right? But in the end of it, he is just back to being the prey and he can't win. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And just to further that analogy of him caught in the web at the end of it, he's caught by the clones who will eventually be about to turn on Ahsoka and probably him too. And he's caught without his lightsabers as well. It's, yeah, it's it's so much. (laughs) Right. And, you know, even more just to go on the symbol train, I feel like there's so much glass shattering in this episode, too, like almost too much glass shattering. If I'm being honest, we have the huge glass shattering of the throne room window, which is beautiful, amazing. We're going to talk about it. And I loved that. That's, again, a really great piece of direction from Dave, uh, not Dave Filoni, actually. It would be Nathaniel, right? Yeah. And I think it was animated beautifully. Everything about that was perfect. Um but then we have a couple more glass shattering moments and the camera focusing on like the space that Maul kind of jumped through or they jump through together, something like that. Ahsoka meditating on that. But it really feels like if you think about the symbol of glass shattering, what is it? It is when the shoe drops, when you feel like the truth is out there and you can do nothing to stop it. Everything that you've known from this, from like the point before, and now you have this new piece of information, everything has changed. And the Mm -hmm. very fact that we have a character like Maul basically lay out everything from Darth Sidious to the grand plan to, you know, the, the Anakin Skywalker's place in it all, or basically Skywalker's place in this all. Like, what does it all mean? Just by using the term Skywalker, which all mech says, I feel like it, it obviously it complicates the the myth of the chosen one, which I think Dave is really playing into. But I, I think that all of this information overload that we talked about at the beginning of the show about really the like an understanding of the saga and where we're going, this this understanding of foreboding, this this dread, the glass is shattered. You can't go back. Now you know this and what's gonna happen, like the inevitability of it all, the the anarchy, mm-hmm. if you will, of it <laughs> yeah. all. I feel like is the truth is out. We cannot we cannot move on in the same direction that we were going to before Maul kind of laid it all out to Ahsoka. And I feel like also at the end, another symbol that I think was fascinating was, you know, we've talked about in past episodes about how we wish that we got more moments of contemplation from Ahsoka, especially during her walkabout walkabout arc. But guess what? We got a lot of moments of contemplation from Ahsoka in this episode. Yeah. And it was, it was so worth it. It was great. Right. And I think that at the end when she's there and after they fight on the beams, which I guess you can, when you think about beams and, you know, support systems of a, of a house or anything like that, they are exactly what I just said, support systems. Right. And not only that, but beams are for balancing, and here they are balancing on it. And when Ahsoka at the end is is standing on a beam that is completely cut, it's unbalanced. Everything about what was just discussed unbalances everything. The, the fact that Ahsoka and Maul couldn't reach an, a common ground and instead he's captured without his lightsaber, like you said, it's unbalanced. 
and the balance will not be fixed until Return of the Jedi, correct? So yep. I, I think in so we we're we're left with that image and it, it lingers for a long time. First on the glass shattering and then her standing there, which as an audience member, you're like, whoa, Ahsoka, like, don't you want to go up to a more balanced beam, right? But she's standing there on this unbalanced beam for quite a long time. And things happen, you know, the clones capture her, hit them. And as an audience member, I think we're left to be like, is that even the right choice? What is the right choice here? To me, it is this, an open conversation, a dialogue between finding a common ground. I think that's really what Star Wars is all about, right, is to try to understand this balance of inside yourself, the light and the dark, accepting both. And I don't think they were able to find a common ground in this episode because Ahsoka decided to defend Anakin, who did not need defending. <laughs> because i that's what's so sad about this is because, of course, Ahsoka would defend Anakin and because of everything she knows about Anakin. But Maul's correct. He's caught up in this grand plan that Ahsoka is not privy to and by defending anakin in a in something that's already put into place like maul said everything is unbalanced <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> so unbalanced yeah it is it's so fitting that they literally take this episode all the way up to this top to this uh catwalk it's very it's very structural like you were talking about the architecture of this episode is really fascinating because they are in this like we're in this very gothic uh high ceilings lots of glass this you know iron in between the glass and and everything like that it it draws your the thing about like that kind of architecture is that it's meant to draw your eye upwards like Mm. like steeples and stuff the reason there are steeples is because it's to draw your eye upwards that you're looking up towards the heaven and like that architecture is very much the same and it's supposed to give a grandness to the building itself so that you marvel at the architecture of the building like you're supposed to look small next to those kinds of buildings that's what the architects had in mind they want you to look small so that the space feels grand so that there is this feeling of like in churches it's of like a religious ominous um like grand feeling and then but then like when you move it into something like our throne room with Maul and Ahsoka and it's this you know these grand sweeping floor to ceiling windows of glass they look so small in that room and part of that is because like they're just small pieces in this plan too and we'll be talking about that later and then and then we go all the way up to the top and it is like you can almost it's like the roof of this of wherever they are. I don't really know how this city works mm-hmm. <laughs> logistically, but they're like in this roof and roofs are held up by support beams <laughs> and yeah. things like that. And like that's what creates the structure of the house, like from the foundation all the way up to the support beams of the roof. And like you're talking about like they're walking these balance beams and it's all crumbling and it's but it's so what's. What's really interesting is that they're the ones making it off balance because, like you said, they can't find this common ground. There's this friction. They're the ones making it even more unbalanced. In this case, it's Maul when we get to the end of the episode as he's the one slicing the beams. And you see him jumping back and forth, basically trying to seesaw Ahsoka off of it. Yeah. (laughs) It's just – 
it's really good. Like there are so many things <laughs> working in this episode and this is why we're not going to be able to talk about it all at once uh, because our minds just can't keep up with it. I think if you're still listening at this point, <laughs> that's no, pretty clear. We're not following your notes either. That's the funny thing. No, we're thing not at that. all. <laughs> you know, I know. When, you, when you were talking, I was like, okay, we're really veering into character. Like when she's finished, I'm going to like try and put us back on track on story. And then I'm over here like, so a church. <laughs> That's why we had to cut out the first part. <laughs> okay, but to, t- <laughs> to talk more about kind of the story, this question that we've been uh, discussing in these episodes of where did we start and where did we end? And we should have talked about this earlier because it goes very much into the below ground, up above in the ceiling, like from the basement to the ceiling, basically. We start right where we left off, which is great. We don't get that a lot in Clone Wars um, or in Star Wars, really. It's cool because the last Jedi, wow another last jedi parallel the last jedi is one of the few films that is the only film that starts right where the last one stopped so mm-hmm. that's kind of cool that we do get that moment here in the cloners so we start in the basement with maul circling ahsoka <laughs> telling her she's behind in the times and then we end with maul trapped in a web and it's such a mall trajectory of the story <laughs> to, be, to be super in control and then to have lost it all yeah it's true it's so true <laughs> it's really funny one of the we do like we said we, we do get so many pieces in here about kind of what's going on on these other pieces of the galaxy we do get a little bit more information about the syndicate leaders, which, hello, Dryden Foss. <laughs> oh, my God. I was so excited. I didn't I, – I watched this episode after Caitlin did, and I te- – the only thing I texted Caitlin was, oh, my God, Dryden Voss. <laughs> I really love Dryden, so I'm, I, I was really happy to see him in this episode. Yeah, it uh, it's it's good. I I love how Maul tells the syndicate syndicate leaders to go into hiding. If you guys remember, I've, I've kind of wanted a flowchart on all the crime lords and syndicates and how all this works. So it was really cool to see him continue to lay the pieces for this, even though that's not what the focus of this is. That's the other thing that I think Dave is is. Dave and like the aid of the story group being involved is like they're very cognizant of all these other pieces that they've laid in these other stories that can be fed into this story because this story even though it's functioning within Revenge of the Sith timeline it doesn't like this story doesn't exist to further Revenge of the Sith and I think Dave has said that in a couple of different interviews like about a lot of why this season is focused on Rex and Ahsoka and Maul because like we already know Obi-Wan and Anakin and where they're going we don't need that we need to see things from these other characters perspectives especially in these final chapters and so being able to see Maul talk to the syndicate leaders is setting helping to set up a lot of other things that we're going to see or that we have already seen but that takes place in the future timeline <laughs> throughout Star Wars. Yeah, specifically in Solo. I mean, one of the great things about Solo is that it opens with that blue text that long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I love I love the beginning of Solo with the like foreboding music because it says, you know, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but it talks about how the crime syndicates are fighting for um, power in the in the chaos of it all, which, of course, like makes me think of Maul, who mentions the word chaos like four times in this episode. But, you know, people are fighting for food, water, medicine, um, shelter, 
and fuel. And I think that it's it's interesting where now we have this idea of the crime the crime lords going into hiding until the chaos really starts again and they can kind of rise to power as people fight for, you know, basic needs that the the empire is not going to be meeting in a bunch of different set of systems. Yeah, it's it's a good moment and it's so quick too. Mm-hmm. But it does a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's like nothing nothing in these episodes are wasted and that feels really good as a fan. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I think that's actually a really good point because I it's it's a tough point to make because I don't think anything in animation or in Star Wars is necessarily 100% wasted and Dave is quick to correct the idea of filler, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think that any any right now, like you said in the beginning of the episode about you were sitting straight up the entire episode, it's because every single minute, every single second feels like something important could drop as we're only you know, in the middle of this episode, we're like two and a half episodes left of the Clone Wars entirely. So what will be, you know, mentioned will potentially be so important. If there really is no filler in the Clone Wars, then in in, in, in any animation project in general, then <laughs> everything that is said is, ooh, that's going to be really important, you know? Yeah. <laughs> 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 it just... Hmm. I know it's like we do have so many notes. I feel like this is this is one of the uh, episodes we've had the most notes on, aside from like our film episodes. Yeah, I was and- I was thinking about this before we started. This is the episode. This is the most we've had to say about something in 2020 since the rise of Skywalker. Am I wrong? No. <laughs> this no. time we're just like really really pumped about it though, which is great. Well, Feels really good. <laughs> Yeah, it does. Our, our Rise of Skywalker notes, I think, were 26 pages long. Charlotte and I did a seven-hour recording session when we recorded that episode. It's in, it's put out in two parts, but we did that in one take. Regardless. <laughs> regardless. It's so much. We were like, we can't, like, I don't know when we're going to talk about Tross again. And <laughs> we got to do it right now. We're like, got to get everything out yeah. there. And it's like, I... This I have this I don't have the same mindset obviously about this but I'm like wow there's so much to talk about and it just but then I'm reading through and I'm like well there's no good transitions between like these topics that we've played. yep because <laughs> the next thing on our list after talking about Maul and the crime syndicates was the treaty between the Republic and Mandalore <laughs> and we talked about this in the last episode but uh, it's just it's brought up again uh, in this episode with. Uh, Bo-Katan saying that she was kind of frustrated at how long the occupation was and we see the citizens of Mandalore are really frustrated with the clones being there they make comments there's a again again like we said the pacing of this episode is really done well and there are moments of pause to really kind of take in the scene that's going on around these characters and there's a good moment when the citizens are being taken to uh, shelters, I think is what they said, or to safe spaces. I'm, I'm not sure how they called them. Um, and they're, all the citizens are kind of being mean to the clones that are there, saying they don't want them here. And then we we go from below back up to the throne room where Bo-Katan and Ahsoka are watching them. And Bo-Katan also expresses frustration at this occupation that it can't last for much longer. And we get this great moment of Ahsoka just kind of watching watching as things are happening down below, knowing that they're taking a big risk by the Republic being here, but that it needed to happen 
but then watching like her friends be talked down to like the clones being talked down to by the mandalorian it's just like the mo the pauses are good yeah because you know this is another one of those wow thank god we have ahsoka pausing and contemplating because we 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 definitely can infer exactly what she's thinking in all these moments of is this a good idea? Is this exactly where I'm supposed to be? Why am I, is this even going to help? Am I helping? And that's really, really interesting. Yeah. And I think we also would be remiss not to mention Maul's line as well about the Mandalorians, which is from the very beginning of the episode when he said, hold on, let me go find the exact quote. I basically transcribed the entire episode <laughs> into our show notes as I'm well. I'm so glad that you did this because it was so necessary. <laughs> So Maul was talking to the Maldalorians down below. I think it was right before or right after the crime syndicates were there. And he basically said, uh, okay, here was here was the here was the whole speech. Cause also this is another comment about Katie uh, in our last episode, just being so right about so many things. We talked a lot about Maul being a chatterbox. <laughs> and he was such a chatterbox in this episode. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it was so great. It was so great. But he's talking to the Maldalorians and he says, you once liberated me from my imprisonment by Sidious and his apprentice. That's literally the son of Dathomir comic. So, which is what we talked about with Katie. So if you haven't read that, go read it. Listen to the episode. It was good. I was like, oh my God, I know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. <laughs> also, nice. anytime Maul discussed Dooku or like the fact that they were similar, it was really interesting because... Slight spoilers for the comics, skip, skip ahead like one minute, but Maul and Dooku, you know, team up and then they go against each other again. And this idea mm -hmm. of teaming up and then going against each other again is like so prevalent throughout Star so Wars. Yeah. And then at the end, you when you realize, wow, we're the same, we could have been fighting each other, like fighting with each other the entire time. Like, hello, that's mm -hmm. so many stories in Star Wars. Probably specifically the one that I'm thinking of the most is Raylo. You know, yeah. it's, it's Ray and Kylo. They could have been fighting with each other for so long, but it, it's not until the very end where they realize that, you know, only we only have what, like 10 minutes together, you know, and they they realized it, which is great. And that's why that is so perfect. Right. They finally realized that, you know, they're the same, even though they're from opposite sides of the war. Right. Mm -hmm. But here with Maul and Dooku, when Maul realizes that him and Dooku were both uh, pawns in this in this great greater scheme, and both apprentices that were you know going to be cast aside and didn't really matter in the very end, it's it's way too late for any of that to happen for any sort of team up. Um, even though they did team up in the in the Son of Dathomir comic, it still didn't end right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so this is what Maul is talking about that whole comic when he's talking to the Maldalorians. He says, You once liberated me from my imprisonment by Sidious and his apprentice. At the time, I thought Dooku was an old fool, but now I see that he and I are the same, one step behind. The dark side has never been stronger. Soon the galaxy will be remade, and in the chaos we must seize what power we can. It is not the way of your people to hide here in the gutters. An ominous choral music plays. <laughs> so perfect because you just think about the Mandalorian immediately and it makes me I haven't had a chance to but it makes me really want to rewatch uh the episodes of the Mandalorian where they discuss being in the gutter I think it is uh Pax Vizla which is another um John mm -hmm. Favreau character who talks specifically about how he's there they don't want to be down below because they're warriors I I'm 
perhaps misremembering that, but I I feel like this idea of the Ma- the Mandalorians being forced down into the gutter in the show The Mandalorian is really fascinating given this quote, um, which is given to these, you know, renegade rogue Mandalorians that are following Maul. And this is where it all starts. Yeah, exactly. And I still, like, going to be honest, like, if you really, we're still in the middle of it all. I understand that. But I'm still, like, okay, so we need to see more of the siege of Mandalore, right? Like, I feel like we need a little bit more of the siege. Am I Am I the only, are you feeling like that or? Well, yeah, because this is, this is the question is now where are they going? Yeah. We, we get to the end of the episode and that was my first question of where are, because we don't have, a good idea of necessarily how much time has passed in this episode, um, whether there have been other days in there that we just don't know about, or it's all tracking in one day, again, comparing it to Revenge of the Sith. So if they're on their way, you would assume that Ahsoka is on her way to bring Maul to the council. That's what she's mm-hmm. been saying to the Republic. But if she's on the way there, does Order 66 happen when they're in transit? <laughs> and that, or do they turn around? Like, is it a situation where Order 66 happens and they say, we're going to take you back to Mandalore? Like, the clones take over, basically do a mutiny on the ship and take them back to Mandalore, and then all of that happens again? Like, yeah, because we heard about the Siege of Mandalore and what the Night of a Thousand Tears is how they called it in The Mandalorian. Still and so I, confusing whether those are two separate events or not. I know. That's, I just, Flowcharts would be so great. It exists somewhere. We know it does. We know it does. But where it exists, it exists with my theme park style map of the Colossus. That's Bryce Dallas Howard has it. We saw it on Instagram. Does, Live. You're right. Oh my gosh, she does have it. She does have it. Do you think Bryce Dallas Howard got to see these episodes before? Yeah, probably. Probably <sighs> to be her. <laughs> to be her. <laughs> to be her. <laughs> Bryce. <laughs> please share please go on instagram live again that was so we great. promise what we a, won't what tell a night. what a night anyway i think that it's ugh, the way that all this works i mean we should get into this right now if we're we're already here about you know caitlin and i kind of timed when we were watching revenge of the sith last week how many days were happening um this is kind of the debate that i've seen all over the internet recently about um if if Ma- if uh, Obi Wan is just now going to Utapau, where are we in the timeline? There's like technically a whole day in between where Anakin turns. The whole conversation about like how much time um, passes in Revenge of the Sith is always so fascinating to me because I think a lot of people thought it was like months, but it's it's never been months. It's something around like nine to ten days, and um, if we're really Right here, where uh, Obi Wan hasn't gone to Utapau just yet, um, we're really on the cusp of everything all happening, and we're still waiting for. If I, I don't know, like it's so hard because the sunset of the Padme's rumination scene is so crucial because it's a sunset. It's this, uh, I don't know, this change in in time and in in the darkness actually falling, and I feel like. We might already be there. It's so hard because yeah. then there's also the, the – it was so amazingly pointed out by our friend Madison on Twitter. It's gone basically viral about the Sidious scream that happens in the throne room. And part of me on, – on the one hand, I can understand that 
this was put there to, to uh, signal that all of this is happening at the same time. But I don't know if I fully believe that, honestly, just because of the way that the days are working. And I think they're so um, exact to show us these days. And I could be completely wrong. We'll find out in five days or when the Clone Wars download comes out or something, you know. Um, but I think there's still time. And again, our, to to mention another person, our friend MC from What the Force, we were talking about this on Twitter about in terms of timing and everything and why we heard the city scream. I I think that she, she mentioned that it's perhaps a, a ripple of the force kind of showing itself the inevitability of it all. And I completely agree with that, like almost like 95 percent agree with that. The, my, the other five percent of me is doubting my entire understanding of the timeline. But I I feel like this the scream it's like it's already happening we can't even get past it and it reminds me of this quote from the Re- Re- whoa the revenge of the sith novel which is the story happened a long time ago in a galaxy far far away it is already over nothing can be done to change it and i feel like it's we we know that nothing can be done to change it it's this isn't a what if scenario right we're not in an alternate timeline instead we have ahsoka and maul fighting conversing discussing how everything is in place. So of course we hear the city scream, you know? And I, I think it's, it was a great addition in sound design and I'm so glad it's there, but um, the, the parallels of it all, not just the scream, but the fighting style, the, 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 um, the timing, it's just, <laughs> there's so much, there's, there's so much there. And I just don't really know where we are in the timeline, despite like the only indicator that we get is that Obi-Wan is leaving for Utapau. But I'm still like, there's still time. We still have time. <laughs> I think that if I were to put on my own cowboy hat in this moment, mm-hmm. my if I were to be Dave Filoni, <laughs> <laughs> I think in this whole conversation about the timeline, for as much as we've been obsessing over it in this episode, and you really hit on it in what you were just saying charlotte i think dave would say like it doesn't like it doesn't actually matter yeah like how many days are left in between when uh obi-wan goes to utapau versus when anakin falls and that you know laid against this episode of clone wars i think he would say and i think i feel it too it's like it doesn't actually matter like you're not the point isn't to line these things all up one-to-one the point is to see like you were saying like of course the city of scream is added in because of what Maul is talking about, not that these things are necessarily literally happening at the same time. I think there's something really um, dramatic about them happening at the same time, literally at the same time. But I don't think that that would be Dave's focus and like the other writers and directors in the room. I think it's about just making you think of how like you like we've been talking about like the glass has shattered it can't be put back together this isn't a what if situation it's a when and that we're just we're picking up on all these things there was this really interesting comment i had on twitter when i was talking about the um the last jedi parallel and it's funny because this comment um mc from what the force had also commented on my tweet about this and then someone else had commented back to her basically saying that it's not even parallels that are happening anymore in star wars it's almost like fractals um going all the way up and down throughout these different stories and i've never thought about star wars as fractals but i think that like that comment, it was from a user named Neil de la Rouvier, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name if you're even listening to this, but he said, um, 
at this point, it's not even parallels anymore. It's like fractals all the way up and down Star Wars within itself through itself. And I think that the way that they phrase this is just, it really kind of blew my mind. And I think it all kind of comes together with this moment that we're talking about, like with the city of Scream, like it's not even about timelines anymore. It's just all of these themes are happening on top of each other and these symbols. And because we're so well-versed in this universe, we can notice the patterns really easily, um, lightning fast. And I think like in, in the making of Revenge of the Sith book, and we'll be talking about that a lot because one, I just got it, and two, we're in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it ends with George making this really big analogy. And it floated around Twitter a couple months ago, actually. But it ended with George making this really big analogy about Star Wars as an orchestra and how in this one set of films, he's really amplifying a certain instrument, a certain theme. But then in somewhere else, like that's just a minor theme that's being repeated. It's no longer the main theme, but it's still present. And I think that that analogy works really well and also works really well with this fractal kind of way of thinking about it. And I think that fractals is actually, I think that that might be how Dave kind of sees it too. Like it's, yes, there's this kind of structured timeline, but also there's kind of not. And because we know everything is falling apart, you know, in some ways we don't have to be as tied to it as we think we are or as we think we need to be. There can be markers, and this episode does a really good job of using those timestamp markers like we've been discussing. But for things like this moment, it doesn't need to be so hard and fast, I think. And I'm sure that that was one of the huge challenges of this arc <laughs> is deciding when would be the most beneficial to have something hard and fast to mark where we are. And then, but then at the end of the day, like these themes and these um, choices that characters making, these parallels, these fractals to other films and shows, um, they're just kind of circling and, and evolving with themselves the whole, like all the time. It's really cool. Yeah, it really is so cool. I really like that term too, the, the fractals of it all. Um, I, it's i think that's probably the best way to think about it it's star wars has become so uh referential within itself that i think that's the only way that we can really think about it yeah i agree and the places that directors choose and that like that's part of the challenge of creating new star wars movies new star wars things is how you what fractals you're using and where and how mm -hmm. you're using them it's an incredible challenge because we are, you know, different from other franchises in that, like, a lot of time passes in Star Wars, but also not a ton of time passes in Star Wars. And, like, these timelines can be compressed, but then also expanded to fill a lot of stories. And it's just, it would be very hard <laughs> to be a Star Wars director. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't say. <laughs> yeah, and especially something like this that is, you know, that there's that other great Dave Filoni quote that we bring up a lot about characters acting like footnotes in the grander story. And I think that I feel like Dave probably had that top of his mind when writing this last piece. Um, because like we said, this this arc isn't meant to function for Revenge of the Sith. 
but it's still working alongside of it? And how do you make sure that this story isn't functioning for Revenge of the Sith, but working alongside it and working for characters like Maul and Ahsoka who have presences in other series that aren't about Revenge of the Sith? And I feel like this episode has done it really well. And I think that part of them doing it well is giving us a marker of where we are in the film because now it's not just like it ends it doesn't end with Anakin and Obi-Wan running off to rescue the Chancellor they're really overlapped and I don't know I think I think it's done a really good job I agree I I totally agree it's it's such a challenge to think about how do you tell the end of the Clone War without just being a footnote to Revenge of the Sith? How do you work those things together, but also keep the characters from the Clone Wars um, front and center? And that's what they're doing so well. It's kind of like, you remember the conversations that Dave talks about him and George having with Ahsoka of how George was the one who was like, well, yeah, she's got to die. And and Dave was like, does she? Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of go the opposite way of what people ex- – like, I don't want to say it's subverting expectations, but it's in a way – it's kind of thinking outside the box because I think, like, as Star Wars fans, we've been looking at the Siege of Mandalore for so long and anticipating it. And it's like, well, it's got to end right when Revenge of the Sith happens. Like, there, there's – like, the ends are supposed to butt up against one another. And then you, you get, like, the animation team and, and Dave and the writers and the directors being like, well, no, it actually doesn't have to. Um, like, the Revenge of the Sith timeline isn't this sacred space that can only exist in the film. It can also exist in other places. And I think that's how you get past that, quote, unquote, acting like a footnote mm. thing. Yeah, And it's sure. like, we don't, we don't have to avoid that timeline because it's already been done. We and and just because like Ahsoka is really tied to Anakin and, and Obi Wan doesn't mean that she can't actually be in Revenge of the Sith. We'll just put her in Revenge of the Sith. Now she's in Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> yeah, she's there. She's there. You didn't know she's she there. was there, but she's there. <laughs> she's there. She's been there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> what you missed her? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, it's like oh, what's what's gonna happen to her? She has to die. Well, she doesn't. It's like. Siege of Mandalore has to end right before Revenge of the Sith has starts. No, it doesn't, actually. It can keep going. And and wars don't end this hard and fast. It's done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we even saw that in the sequel trilogy. The Battle of Jakku happens right after the Battle of Endor. You know, there's a whole celebration, but then there's more, you know, mm-hmm. and that changes the fate of the galaxy to the point where we have a character who lives amongst its ruins, you know? And I think that it's... I don't know. It's it, it always continues on. Always. Yeah, it does. Okay, let's talk about the throne room scene. I know you're dying to talk about this. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I, I think we all like saw the parallel when we saw the promos and the stills from this arc. But then actually watching it, oh my God. I know. It was <laughs> it's so perfect. So, like, okay, was, we get it. Dave Filoni, you saw the last, the last Jedi. Jedi. You love The Last Jedi. Like, same. Same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This, 
<laughs> it's just there's so much working in this 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 like the phantom apprentice right and the parallels and the way that that's a good quote-unquote easter egg i think the throne room here is a good quote-unquote easter egg obviously i don't see it like an easter egg but you guys get what i'm saying it's that we're put in a situation in a setting that is similar to something else we've seen in star wars but the mechanisms that are going on within it are very different from what we saw in The Last Jedi. Even though it has similar story beats, it's all very different as well. Like, one of the things that I thought about was, um, you know, Dave has commented a lot about Anakin's character development in The Clone Wars and how it's very purposeful that many of the conversations he has with Palpatine are isolated. It's just Anakin and Palpatine. And Palpatine works very hard to get Anakin by himself in The Clone Wars. We see the same thing here happening with Maul. You know, Ahsoka comes in with a group and one by one, they all literally one by one, they all leave her. (laughs) And I remember watching it and being like, Bo-Katan's just going to leave her here with Darth Maul? (laughs) Yeah. I was like, and she walks out. I was like, okay, bye, girl. (laughs) And and it's, it's very purposeful. But whereas like Palpatine is getting Anakin alone in order to seduce him, Maul is doing the same thing, but when we hear what Maul has to say, we're like, oh, whoa. <laughs> like, they're they're different. And he gives her this choice. And we see Palpatine give Anakin a choice. Maul gives Ahsoka a choice. Kylo gives Rey a choice. And they all do different things within these throne rooms. And, of course, we also have the throne room at the end of Return of the Jedi where – Vader makes his final choice against Palpatine. And I love it, though, because in, in his first in his first choice, he says yes to Palpatine. In her throne room, Rey says no to Ben after they've worked together. In this throne room, Ahsoka at first says yes to Maul, and then she says no. <laughs> and we'll probably see her say yes in some version of that word before the series is over. It's just, it's... As we keep saying, it's really well done. (laughs) Well, I would just say that even if you can compare it to The Last Jedi, where you have – okay, so you're right that you have Ahsoka saying yes and then saying no. But I also think in The Last Jedi, you have Rey basically saying yes to Ben, Mm -hmm. but no to Kylo Ren. And I think that you almost have kind of something a little similar here of Ahsoka saying yes to Maul, just Maul. And then you have her saying no to the grand plan that includes the dark side, that includes power, Darth Maul, right? Um, you have these two – it's so hard in Star Wars when you to talk about people when they turn to the dark side because like the whole Vader-Anakin conversation about who do you, how do you refer to them? Is it a slash? Is it two separate people? Same with Kylo Ren and Ben. Um, and same, I think, here with Maul kind of because you have someone asking for – um assistance right some help and you have ahsoka saying yes to that but then when when the truth is really revealed when uh maul says you know goes against someone that ahsoka loves anakin she can't say yes to that right yeah what i think kind of to maybe push back a little on what you said about Mm. um obviously you're correct in that in the last jedi or i agree with you that Ray says yes to Ben but says no to Kylo and visually we're cued into that choice by Kylo wearing the glove mm-hmm. and then when she says in Rise of Skywalker I like I did want to say yes like I said yes to Ben but Ahsoka saying 
I don't think Ahsoka is saying no to Darth Maul. She's saying no to, like, she's saying no to this being about Anakin. Yeah. And, like, it's it's a little, like, I think the verbiage is important because she says yes to this Darksider. Like, he's not technically Darth Maul anymore because he's not a Sith. Mm-hmm. Um she says yes to that. She doesn't ask. What I think is so great is that she doesn't ask him to change. She's not like, she says, yes, I'll help you. It's just, it's kind of mind blowing. And this is something that um, Katie was talking about and what we were talking about with Ahsoka too. And what Dave has been saying about when she sees someone who needs help, Ahsoka is going to give help. <laughs> and the fact that she said here, yes, I'll help you. <laughs> it's like she can't it's- say no to that. She can't say no to that because she – and that's what's great about this moment and we saw this moment paralleled with The Last Jedi is when the glass explodes. This is this is Maul and Ahsoka's shatter point. This is Ahsoka's shatter point really and um, this whole story is we see the fire embers like flowing between them. Time literally slows down to give Ahsoka this moment to breathe, to think about what Maul is saying. The fact that she believes him – is so cool because we're so often like in this moment she believes him and I think she still does but she thinks he's wrong about Anakin but she believes the Sidious piece of it (laughs) and we're so often have people automatically just saying no you're lying to Darksiders even though they're never lying and Ahsoka here takes a moment to take in what Maul says time literally slows down for us visually and then she says yes. She says yes to this dark cider. But then when it becomes something personal, so personal, it's Anakin, she takes it back and she says no. And then that's when she says you're lying. Mm-hmm. And it's when it becomes that personal piece that we get light ciders calling dark ciders liars, even though they're not. It's yeah. really complicated and I love it. A lot. <laughs> Me too. I think one of my favorite things about The Last Jedi's throne room is the curtain literally burns down mm-hmm. and the truth of the galaxy, the fight between the First Order and the Resistance is revealed outside and they can't just l- exist in this bubble of of uh, this this like perfection that exists, this, uh, this ultimate balance um, is, it can't exist as it as it felt like it could in this throne room as the war continues to rage outside unless some choices are made. And I think the same thing is happening here in this scene as the glass shatters, like as the world kind of continues to burn around them and the chaos begins, as Maul says, like unless um, we sort of are able to let go of um some things that are holding us back for Ahsoka, I think it's Anakin, then you can't really move forward. For Maul, it's, I think, a quest for power um, and to, to continue to live, really. Uh, and I think that the, 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 just to go back to the symbol of the glass shattering that I brought up earlier, um, the truth comes out. That's always what is happening with the glass shattering, a mirror breaking, a curse, like anything like that it's the truth is there and you have to look it straight in the face because it's it's almost it's really hitting you so hard you know Mm -hmm. the facade has been completely erased 
yeah, and that's that was the whole like that was Ryan Johnson's point in the Last Jedi. It's about the facade of Snoke, this whole thing that he set up. It burns to the ground. The truth is out there. The truth that Ray and Ben both had an opportunity to make a different choice, mm, yeah. but they didn't because of where they were in the story. And you know that. And then we see that here too. Like you've been talking about, the glass shatters. The, f- the literal facade of the building crumbles and Ahsoka is left with nothing but the truth, but she just can't see it. And Maul says that too to her. Let me find the quote. It's, he's he's so angry. <laughs> <laughs> the throne room scene is just – it's so good because the door is open, you know, very much like Empire Strikes Back where you see Vader just at the other end of the table, right? The door is open to the throne room and there's Maul just sitting on the throne <laughs> With one leg propped up, looking like a beast. (laughs) And he's like, I'm here. (laughs) And then after he gets Ahsoka alone, one by one, they all leave. And this is is what's so – again, my mind is just really running a mile a minute. Um, Maul's motivations. Katie talked a ton about this in our episode about Maul's motivations and what he was going to do. And she said, she was like, everyone thinks that this is just about Kenobi. She's like, I really hope that it's not just about Kenobi. And it wasn't just about Kenobi, (laughs) which is so great. When Maul said his grand plan to Ahsoka in the throne room, I was like, oh my God, Katie. Oh my (laughs) God. I was like, (laughs) I was beside myself. I was like, it wasn't just about Kenobi. (laughs) Like (laughs) screaming on my couch. (laughs) But he you track it's really easy to track Maul's motivations I think through this episode with Ahsoka like it's very clearly laid out you know he starts at wondering who she is he gets the clone Jesse he goes into Jesse's mind finds out everything he needs to know about Ahsoka he gets Ahsoka back in the throne room because when they're underground right in the beginning and they're starting to fight Maul pushes Ahsoka back and says not yet and then he runs away which I was like what does he meet mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was first watching this? And then we felt like he needed to know who she was. Why would Kenobi send you? Why do I not know you when I know Kenobi? Which I'm also kind of wondering why Maul doesn't know who Ahsoka is if he knows Kenobi so well, but that's another conversation. <laughs> um, but he gets her into the throne room, and then instead of just immediately starting this battle, Ahsoka knows, because of her conversation with Obi-Wan, that Maul has vital information. The point here is not to kill him. The point is to get him to the Republic and to the Council. And she's very aware of that. But then we're given this beautiful, long conversation (laughs) with slow motion in the middle of it (laughs) (laughs) to really see these characters thinking about things and to to be emotional as well. Mainly this is from Maul. Ahsoka really keeps her cool, I think, even though we know that she's, like, churning on the inside from what Maul is saying. She she really puts up a good front, whereas Maul just, like, leans into everything, and that's part of him being a dark sider and part of him being Maul. <laughs> but the conversation is so good. I think we should read it. Do we want to tag team it, or do you want me to read it? I want to be Ahsoka. <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> so... Everyone is out of the room. I actually forget how this conversation starts, but Maul says, were you not cast out of your order? I left voluntarily. Yes, but you were motivated to leave by the hypocrisy of the Jedi Council. We were both tools to greater powers. I am here to bring you to justice. 
Justice is merely a construct of the current power base, a base which by my calculations is about to change. With your help, the Jedi can stop Sidious before it's too late. Too late for what? The Republic to fall? It already has and you just can't see it. There is no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious. But together, you and I can. Every choice you have made has led you to this moment. I will help you, but you must answer one question. You have but to ask. What do you want with Anakin Skywalker? He is the key to everything. To bring balance to the Force? To destroy. He has long been groomed for his role as my master's new apprentice. You lie. I'm afraid not. (laughs) In fact, I was so certain of his fate that I orchestrated this war to lure him here with Kenobi to kill him, thus depriving Sidious of his prized pupil. I know, Anakin. Your vision is flawed. I see the Padawan needs one last lesson. There is so much going on (laughs) this this is like a five minute conversation because there are so many pauses in between these things where you see where like the camera like kind of circles around the characters so that you can see them thinking from all angles (laughs) and it's just it's the way that i i forgot too that ahsoka actually asks maul to help her first and it's it's I love this conversation so much. This is what we've been wanting from these characters this whole time is to have angsty conversations. <laughs> it's not just angsty conversations, though. It's conversations that reference things that we as an audience already know. This would never have happened. It, it's just like it's so fascinating that we're able to get this from a character like Maul who has returned from the ashes, right? He is mm-hmm. like the phoenix that has has risen over and over and over again, but really can't make it to phoenix status, right? It's, <laughs> he, <laughs> he never he, levels up enough. No, he never really does. And it's in it, it's just only a character like Maul can have the foresight to understand the way that the machinations of Sidious are working, right? So to have a conversation that references that the the best line in this, without a doubt, is justice is merely a construct of the current power base, a base which by my calculations is about to change. This is what Padme has been saying. No one's listening to her, right? No one. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that it's, this is, we have to have a character like Padme, as we've said for years, like everything she says is correct, you know, and again, no one is really 100% listening to her, especially in Attack of the Clones, right? Mm-hmm. But we have a character to have a character like Maul who's on the dark side, who's like, no, like you don't understand. Things are all happening. We are all tools in this. And mm-hmm. your idea of the Senate being brought to justice, it's, it's, it's all for naught. N- none of it makes any sense. That's why Anakin killed Dooku. For um, uh, numerous reasons, I think that we can understand that Anakin killed Dooku because it doesn't even matter. Like, Dooku had to die in in the grand scheme of the story. If Dooku was there, Anakin wouldn't have been able to become Darth Vader. Justice doesn't – it's it's nothing. The fact that Palpatine was the one that told Anakin to kill Dooku also me- means that justice is for naught as someone who is at the head of it all, right? Nothing is fair. Absolutely nothing. This is how liberty dies with thunderous applause. And to ha- this was like the best line for me. <laughs> I'm still yeah. reeling from it. It's the best. I am too. The one that um the one that I think follows it really well as far as like blowing my mind is when he said uh the the whole thing where he says 
um, too late for what? The Republic to fall. It already has. You just can't see it. And then this line, there is no justice, no law, no order, except for the one that will replace it. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious, but together you and I can. Every choice you have made has led you to this moment. There's like, it's it's like all Star Wars wrapped into that (laughs) one little like four sentence paragraph. (laughs) We've got personal choice. We've got destiny. We've got the force. We've got visions. We've got politics. We've got tragedy. (laughs) It's all there. Gang's all here. (laughs) Big shot gangster putting together a tragedy. It's here. (laughs) It's all here. It's just like, and I just, I love, I love the back and forth of Ahsoka being like, no, help me. And he's like, no. And then he's like, you help me. And she's like, uh, okay. (laughs) And then it becomes about Anakin and then it becomes personal. She wasn't, she, the way that she says, like in the beginning of this conversation, when she says, um, together with your help, the Jedi can stop Sidious. I think, should we move into part two? I feel like we're just like, yeah, let's do it. Okay. The Jedi order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council. And without you. Okay, welcome part to part two. We're just going to talk about Ahsoka. Um, and I'm just going to continue exactly where I left off. <laughs> so Ahsoka's relationship with the Jedi, this is something we've discussed at length in these past two episodes and throughout Ahsoka's walkabout. And the one thing I love about these past two episodes, um, the fact that we got another super complicated conversation with Obi-Wan was just Mwah, chef's kiss. And she has... I really appreciate that it's not one thing or the other with her character as far as the Jedi are concerned. She is angry at Obi-Wan, but then she's listening to him. She is frustrated with Obi-Wan, but then she like she's frustrated with the council, but she's confiding in Obi-Wan. But then here in this conversation with Maul that we've been talking about, she's like, no, the Jedi can overthrow Sidious. Like suddenly now she's like, yes, let's go work with the Jedi. And when Maul says it's too late for that, the Republic have fallen, the time of the Jedi has passed, she believes him. She doesn't she doesn't defend the Jedi's honor, <laughs> you know, as she will start to defend Anakin's honor in just a few minutes here. She agrees with Maul or she believes Maul that the time of the Jedi have passed. And it just this whole thing. I haven't said this, but I am so surprised that that like this conversation here, like this kind of setup in this episode, wasn't the last episode of the series. Like I can kind of see all of like all of the information we've gotten in this episode being the very last episode of the Clone Wars, and them just being like deuces, it's done, <laughs> and and then we would be left with like, oh wow, Ahsoka knows all of these things. What does it mean? But we still have two more episodes. It's and crazy. I just I can't stop thinking about. We know that Ahsoka doesn't know who Vader is in Rebels. Or maybe she doesn't want to believe that she knows who Vader is. But all of these things that Anna, that Maul has told her, the way that she feels about the Jedi, as she will inevitably watch them burn, watch the whole galaxy burn, basically, how much is she going to come back to this conversation in the future? 
often and wonder she if she to. made the I know it's just I'm just like wow let's make it even sadder <laughs> how often <laughs> is she going to come back to this conversation and feel regret about the choices that she made because you know if if Obi-Wan like let's say she never talks to Obi-Wan or Anakin again right like let's just pretend that that's how this series ends and it's just with Maul and Rex for the rest of for the rest of the next two episodes when she finds out about Sidious, that it's Palpatine, or again, like transmission of information is is a hard one, a hard nut to crack in Star Wars. But I feel like Ahsoka probably knows more than the average citizen because of her connections to people like Bail, right? And she's mm-hmm. clearly in contact with Bail, so I I feel like she knows other things, like her coming back to this conversation with Maul in the future, knowing what Maul said about Anakin. Does she really not have doubts about this new apprentice, this new leader of the Empire? It's she has to have doubts. She, she has, has to have to. she has to have doubts. And that's the really like she's gonna spend we've talked a lot about Ahsoka's life being relatively like being pretty lonely from here on out. And there that there's a real sadness in that, not just because all the people that she knew best, like the, you know, everything that's happened in the Clone Wars, um, but because it's she will be very lonely going from a life of having a lot of people around her to not only walking away from those people, but most of those people also dying mm-hmm. in a really horrible way. And yeah. to have their agency taken away from them, no less, with the clones. And to walk this path until we see her in Rebels. But now knowing that this conversation happened, when Maul tells her everything – when Maul tells her that it's it's Anakin, it's Anakin Skywalker. And yes, I think that Dave is playing into the conversation of who is the chosen one. I think that Dave thinks it's Anakin, but I think some days he also thinks it's Luke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that he is playing with that a lot. But specifically, Maul is talking about Anakin Skywalker in this moment. It's very specific. Is it, though? Because it's Almec who says Skywalker, and it's not... But Ahsoka says, what do you want with Anakin Skywalker? Right, right. But do you think that Maul is the one that's misinterpreting the vision? Like, if we can talk a little bit about the vision for a second that Maul has that apparently has filled him with dread. You know, the Max says for weeks he's been consumed with a strange sense of dread, which love that line because mm-hmm. same, you know. <laughs> 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 I, I think that it's I mean that's how we feel about Revenge of the Sith and everything with the Clone Wars right like we were filled with this yeah. strange sense of dread in this weird way just as a side note armed with this knowledge that we know about how things end and how the story goes we are all Maul and that's kind of what makes him in this weird way oh. a character that we can latch on to because My we God. are him My God. In, in that we have been deceived by certain characters by watching our favorites get completely played into and you're all spiders yes we're all spiders you know trying to weave a web but inevitably getting caught into it to talk a little bit about the vision because it is something that is really super, 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 super extremely interesting to me about this episode. It really does parallel Anakin's own vision of Padme dying. And in our last um, watch through of Revenge of the Sith, which I feel like we've referred to a lot, but it was really a pivotal watch for Caitlin and I. <laughs> but it wasn't, yeah. it, was it not? Like it was, it was great. It felt, felt like a big deal. <laughs> it felt like a huge deal. And you know what? It is a big deal. But the last time we watched that, I was talking to you, Caitlin, about how I watched this episode, this this 
this time watching the movie, I felt like Anakin's vision was not put there by Palpatine, as I sometimes watch it through that lens, but instead a manifestation of his own fear. And I could I could understand how that could be so in this last watch. And I flip flop, and I know you do too. Go, we I always go back and forth about how how do I understand Anakin's visions of vision of Padme? Because in the end, in in this weird way, Anakin kills Padme. Um, and his vision comes true, but definitely not in the way that you see it coming true in his premonition, right? So, but it becomes clearer because you see Obi-Wan there in the second premonition, and that's what happens, but it's just really, really uh, mind-boggling and will forever kind of haunt me and has haunted me since 2005. <laughs> and I think that with Maul's own vision, if we can think about it the other w- the same way, if we can think about it as put there, not put there by Palpatine, but instead a manifestation of his own fear, here we have Maul dreaming about Skywalker taking the place of the apprentice, which is his own fear, right? They both have uh, his his own fear is that he's worthless. He's nothing. He actually has no place in this world. He has no sense of, oh, my God, he has no sense of belonging. Okay. <laughs> right and i think that this that's what's a fractal. So, another freaking fractal i think that it's it's this vision of fear is that if he does see skywalker he immediately only goes for the one that he knows which is anakin and his fear of course is that he's always going to be tied to um this replacement apprentice because he's always tied to obi-wan and obi-wan is tied to anakin and all these different ties right so that's who he knows but later when in twin sons and rebels you know he will be bring balance or his some of his last words and he finds out that obi-wan is protecting luke and Obi-Wan perhaps has misinterpreted the Chosen One prophecy to think it's only Luke who's going to be the one to bring balance. But instead, of course, it's Anakin who comes back from the dark side to assist in this. And all these interpretations of the Chosen One prophecy are um, even brought up in Revenge of the Sith. You know, there's a whole conversation with Yoda and Mace and Obi-Wan uh, as they're flying through the sky before Obi-Wan leaves for Utapau of a prophecy that has been mis- misread could have been, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're already doubting all these things. And these are things that Dave is playing into. Um, and I think that you have Maul kind of falling into the same trap of misinterpretation, even though he's not because he's he's right. But perhaps it the word Skywalker came to him. And of course, Luke isn't even born yet. Leia's not even born yet. Whatever. Um, or are they? <laughs> they're not. Stop. I don't think they are. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like it's just... Uh, I don't know. It's so much misinterpretation that could happen. And um, both of them getting visions that they're plagued with this sense of dread. I mean, Anakin is also plagued with this, a strange sense of dread after coming off of being so dang happy last episode. Right. And we all know this because the moment he comes back to Coruscant, he is plagued with this sense of dread that he's that Padme, the woman he loves, is going to die just like his mother. And all of these things are kind of this domino effect of dread. Yeah, he basically saunters off the transport <laughs> into Padme's arms. Yeah, he's so happy. He's like, I don't care about anything else. Like, let's, <laughs> whatever. I don't care if anyone knows we're married, right? And it's he's so happy, and then he doesn't know what to do at all. And I, I feel like Maul is also experiencing something else of 
he's trying to find his sense of power, his sense of place, but he then is is filled with this, am I even uh, worthy to be a part of this story? Am I even supposed to be, how can I wedge myself back into this story? And he he comes to a place in this episode where it's just not working. I think we're talking about like the interpretation of the vision here a lot about which Skywalker is being referenced. Almac obviously just says Skywalker. Ahsoka is the one who says Anakin Skywalker, not Maul. But everything he's talking about is pretty pointed, pretty specific about Anakin Skywalker. I think the thing that I'm kind of reeling from that I, I don't really think I've seen a lot of people talking about is the Force giving Maul a completely true vision. <laughs> Like, giving a Darksider a completely true vision. <laughs> I mean, in a way, in Rebels, he's kind of, he's searching for the other half of unlocking the vision of the Chosen One, right? I mean, who knows what he actually saw, right? And I wish that I had rewatched the Twin Suns and, like, that whole arc before this episode. Better believe I'm going to watch it this week <laughs> uh, to really remember what their conversations were about the holocron. and Because he got that vision when he had the holocron. Uh, that's when he keeps saying, or it's when Ezra keeps saying twins, chosen one, something like that. But they have the holocron in that episode of Rebels. But I, it's kind of blowing my mind, though, that the Force has given Maul this vision that is spot on. Um, it's not just because Maul points out that he uh, he didn't even realize he was a pawn in this plan. Um, it's not something he was made aware of. Uh, it wasn't something that he knew about, really, not fully, not completely, until recently. And then Almac says he has a dream, and that dream is about Anakin being the key to everything. And Ahsoka says to bring balance to the Force because that's what she's heard her whole life. And Maul says no to destroy. He's been groomed for the role as my master's new apprentice. Maul has had no idea about Anakin and Palpatine until now. It's just it's. It, it's like I said, it's blowing my mind that the force has given this completely true piece of this part of the story to Maul. Of course, we're thinking big picture because as the audience, we know everything that's going on. We know what's even coming after Revenge of the Sith. But Maul knows what's coming up until the end of Revenge of the Sith. And he knows how to stop it. He's like, that's that's the motivation here. <laughs> I get Kenobi here and he's going to bring Anakin with him because, you know, they're, they're a package deal. And then I kill Anakin and then Sidious is sad and I'm happy. Um, we don't. I feel like we don't really think about the Force working that way because that feels like the light side of the Force. We talk yeah. about the dark side clouding everything. Yeah. But then Maul's vision here is super clear. Even if it's not the whole picture, obviously, it's enough of the picture to know what to do. Like the thing that Maul is setting up here, this this is this goes back to the vision that um, uh, in the Yoda arc with um, in Yoda three when Palpatine create recreates the whole like like a sick joke. <laughs> Palpatine recreates the whole Mustafar battle for Yoda brings Anakin there and says, if you let go of Anakin, all of this is solved. And Yoda says, no, it's not. It, it's it's like against his principle. Like he will not sacrifice Anakin for it, even for all of the many doubts that Yoda has about Anakin. 
Palpatine gives Yoda a, a real vision of literally what's about to happen, but it comes from the dark side. And because it comes from the dark side, Yoda doubts it, even though he shouldn't because the dark side doesn't lie. So then like, where is this vision coming from? Is it coming from the force? Is it coming from the dark side of force or the light side of the force? We just talk a lot about how the force doesn't really like it, it's not like divided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like these are only dark side force particles and these are light side force particles. I think I think you and I try to think of it more as like living and cosmic. And exactly. the living is more manipulative, not manip- like can be more manipulated by a force user, whereas the cosmic force tends to have or, or appears to have thinking of its own, which so does the living force. It's very confusing. Well, but it we feels- think about the cosmic force more as a, an instrument of fate. Yeah, and destiny yes, and yes. and assist assisting the grand scheme of one's life not by not by robbing them of personal choice but to kind of show them where they are in the grand scheme of how we as an audience understand the characters in the Star Wars galaxy but sometimes it does take away personal choice yes it does or it can because it 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 like you know, it put Ray and Ben in these very specific roles that they had to play and that they, like, for the betterment of the galaxy, they were instruments of the cosmic force. And being an instrument means being played. Someone else is is playing the song <laughs> of the instrument. But there's still, like, that predestination. There's still that element of personal choice in it. Like, I, th- I think that Ray and Ben are a really good example because it's pretty visual in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi of we see the cosmic force intervening at the end of The la- of the Force Awakens when it splits the Earth apart for them. And then the personal choice side of it plays in The Last Jedi when they say no to each other, to their current quote unquote titles, and Ray walks away from Kylo, not from Ben, but from Kylo. Um, I think that's a really... You're right. It's it's like being an instrument, but it, it it's incredibly complicated. So it's it's crazy thinking about the cosmic force giving Maul of all people this vision. Why not give it to Ahsoka? You well, know? that's the thing, right? I think that we've even hinted at this throughout our discussions of the Clone Wars that I I actually do believe that Ahsoka is an instrument of the cosmic force, and so it's really what is she doing here? You know, I think that that's still a question that plagues me that we're unsure about her being, you know, so wrapped up in Maul. Now she's armed with this information. What's she going to do with it? And what she does with it, I think, is maybe that's why the Force gave Maul this this vision that it, it, maybe it was purposeful. Maybe it was meant to be that Maul was going to tell all of this to Ahsoka. Why are you here? We go back to that line and it is repeated in this episode as it was in the last episode. It's personal for Ahsoka to be delivered this information and what she does with it might not change the fate of the galaxy because we already know exactly what's going to happen, but it could change some things of how we understand that fate, you know? And yeah. I think that if you can think about, I think it's you're right to question why is Maul given this vision, but I think it's more like, why is Ahsoka in this moment here with Maul and Maul is the one that has to tell her this information? I think if we can think about Ahsoka and Rex being the main characters of the Clone Wars, if we can listen to what Dave has been saying, like basically every other Clone Wars download, download episode, right? Um, 
Maul being the one to tell her this and then Ahsoka having to digest this information, given everything that she knows and has been through with the Jedi, she is immediately, you know, doesn't want to like can believe this information from Maul in a way because of her own opinions about the Jedi Council that have wronged her, that have cast her out. But like we've talked about now, I feel like in a weird way, we're talking in circles, but it only becomes personal when she is um, when Anakin is brought into the mix. But now she has this information. So what's she going to do with it? I think this goes back to our question of, is she going to talk to Anakin? You know, Katie had talked about we talked about Katie a lot in this episode, but our friend Katie brought up what if she talks about talks to Padme and how does that change things? That to me is even more interesting of how are we going to change the our understanding of Revenge of the Sith, the end of it, maybe, if ah- Ahsoka, what is Ahsoka going to do with this information? If she conceals it, I think it even in a way goes to even more of the bigger themes of Star Wars of not sharing information. The lack of communication is is a major flaw in most of our characters, especially the Skywalkers, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that if she doesn't share it... The, the galaxy's already damned, but in in how much more so can it be damned by um, a lack of sharing? And who's going to believe her? I don't know. There's so many questions, right? <laughs> like yeah. endless questions. I have a bit of a controversial statement. Okay, say it. Okay. I don't know if I think that Ahsoka is an instrument of the cosmic force. Why? I think that Ahsoka I think that Ahsoka is a really good listener, and I think that she knows how to listen to the Force really well and to trust her instincts, but I don't know if I think she's an instrument of the Cosmic Force. I think because ultimately this story, the Star Wars saga, it's the Skywalker saga. I think that the Skywalkers are the instruments of the Cosmic Force. And then, like, someone like Rey comes along and, like, not to say that, like, only super main film characters are instruments of the cosmic force. I don't mean that. But I think that, like, Ahsoka's, for as much as we talk about these characters not being footnotes, um, in a lot of ways, like, Ahsoka is part of Anakin's fall to the dark side. And we talk about, like, Anakin, like, losing his mother, then losing Ahsoka, then losing Padme. Like, things come in threes and, like, that's going to impact him. And, like, like her story works alongside of his. I just think – I think that she's a really attuned Force user. If I don't know how to explain it so that it makes sense. I feel like she walks really well within the Force – And because she left the order when she did, and I think because of a lot of, like, these things going on right now, she is – I don't know. She's more aware. I think that really guides her decisions. I think Ahsoka always tends to make thought-out decisions. Um, We saw her be really rash when she was younger, and I don't think – like, I don't think many people would describe her that way now – even though in some instances she is, even in this moment when she tell like when she takes back her yes to Maul as soon as he mentions Anakin, like it is personal, but she is controlled. She doesn't lash out. She's controlled in this. It's not until Maul was like, well, you need another lesson. And then she like lights her lightsabers. I don't know. I just I think she 
walks really well within the force and that she's not an instrument of it, but she knows how to listen to it and to let that guide her in her decisions. I don't know if that makes sense. And that could change really easily. Watch like Dave come on next clone or download and be like, well, Soka is an instrument of the cosmic force. (laughs) Um, But I think that's kind of where I I stand because to be honest, I kind of like the idea that she's not. For as much as I, I love the idea of her actually being one, I kind of like the idea that she isn't because she's not. We talk. We've been discussing this like, if you're an instrument of the cosmic force, instruments can be played by by something else. Like there is almost like a piece of agency that's taken away. It's very complicated, as I'm sure you guys can tell, and like you probably have a headache listening to us talk in circles about it at this point, but. I really like the idea that Ahsoka is completely like independent in that, but she can hear the force so well that she knows what to do. Like she's very wise in that sense because she spent a lot of time in like meditation. And like we said, a lot of her life will be spent alone. And so she can listen really well. Like when she's in the world between worlds in Rebels, you get the feeling that she's probably never heard of where she is. Like that's not something that was written about in the textbook at the Jedi temple, but she knows immediately of we can't stay here. And she like is immediately wise enough to start to figure out what she needs to do next. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but no, I, I, I hear you, but here's why I think that she's an instrument of the cosmic force. And it is because of the world between worlds and her connection to the daughter on Mortis and even that mirror of Maul's connection to the sun also. Um, and in the world between worlds, you know, she has the the convoy who comes to her, you know, and is basically, which is, I the convoy is like a, a representation of the daughter. And why is it so attracted to Ahsoka? And um, why does she keep coming back into these stories? I think, yes, of course, like outside of the narrative, it's because Ahsoka is a great character and we love to see her and Dave loves her and everyone loves her. Right. <laughs> but I think that it's also because she's here for a certain reason. And that's why I lean on the cosmic force, because that's the only mm-hmm. way that I can really explain it. And I, I think that there really is something there about Ahsoka's connection to the, the convoy, the owl, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, that is designed to look just like the daughter after Ahsoka's own experience on on Mortis. What's crazy, though, is that that connection to daughter was forced upon her. That wasn't something that she was born with. That was given to her out of Anakin's emotional attachment. Um, she didn't get a say in that, which I guess is part of in being an instrument of the cosmic force. You sometimes don't get a say in things. Yeah, exactly. But she wasn't – yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah, the daughter connection is, is really good. But I just can't help <laughs> but thinking that, like, that wasn't something she was even made aware of when it was yeah. happening. She was, she was gone. Like, her piece of the story was over. And Anakin said no. <laughs> and he brought her back. That's true. And you're right. Like, she was brought back changed. I guess that's kind of how I think of her, like, walking alongside, like, almost in between the cosmic force and the living force, <laughs> like a world between worlds. And then, like, the convoy Amori is, like, kind of flying beside her on the cosmic force side of things yeah. as she's walking through life. 
And it's almost kind of like she doesn't have one foot in or out of either side. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's a I good think, conversation. I think Ahsoka really is the embodiment of Leia. I think this really goes back to her almost being named Ashla, which is supposed to be the like the light side of the force like back when it was Ashla and I always get this wrong but I think it's Bogan is the dark side and even in the Ahsoka novel she takes on the name Ashla Ahsoka was meant to be called Ashla before it was called before she was called uh, Ahsoka so I don't know I think there is something there about her even if we don't define it as the as the cosmic like an instrument of the cosmic force it's worth debating and I'm glad that we talked about it um, because I I don't know. Maybe it's something completely different. Maybe it's just really, truly different than how we understand Ray and Ben, which mm-hmm. I think is fair. But it's hard because we have so many straight up uh, full on connections between The Last Jedi in this episode that it's easy to draw those parallels when we see Kylo Ren as as Maul and we see Ray as Ahsoka in, in, cer- in these certain situations, right? At least as stand-ins for this offer. And when they're instruments of the cosmic force part of this grand scheme of it all right and i think in a way maul is the one being like we're all part of this grand scheme so it's easy for me i think to be like oh no she's an instrument of the cosmic force because they're all part of it they're all instruments in this weird way so of course she'd be the one who is part of the cosmic force it's so weird because it's like you're right like maul is saying like all this is orchestrated but then at the same time he's like we were cast out we're not on the main stage. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's all of it. And I think I think it's supposed to be. <laughs> but, supposed to be. Like we're supposed to have these conversations because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's everything that is being brought up. Yeah. Oh man. That's <laughs> so much. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Can we talk about Obi-Wan for a sec? Yes. You know, sure. you wrote this in the notes and it cannot be truer. Literally, who saw Ahsoka having riveting conversations with Ahsoka in two episodes? <laughs> Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan having riveting conversation with Ahsoka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I can't. Like, what? <laughs> I'm so surprised. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Um, should we read their conversation, too? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Okay. Do you want to be Ahsoka again? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is this is we're going back to the beginning of the episode, y'all. This is this has been a ride for those of you listening, and I apologize. But uh, when Ahsoka goes into the throne room, when it's still daytime, before Maul has gotten there, and uh, she they've they lost Maul on level C or whatever it is, and Obi Wan is there on a hologram, and they're talking about Sidious. He tells Ahsoka tells Obi Wan that. Maul said something about Darstidious, and Ahsoka's never heard that name before. And Obi-Wan, in a surprising moment of honesty, <laughs> tells Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and Rex what the council knows about Sidious, which I was super surprised about. But then he tells Rex and Bo-Katan to leave uh, when Ahsoka asks if Anakin can come to Mandalore and help her. So Obi-Wan says he has been instructed to observe the Chancellor and report his findings. And Ahsoka says, observe? You mean spy? They told him to spy on the Supreme Chancellor? Why? The Senate has allowed the Supreme Chancellor to remain in office long after his term has expired. The Council wants to know what his true intentions are. The Chancellor has been a great friend and mentor to Anakin. I can't imagine he's happy about this. No, he's not. So perhaps it's best that you do speak with him. 
And what, defend the council's actions? I hardly think I'm the best person for that. Ahsoka, the council isn't always right. That's why I'm asking for your help. And then explosions. You had best go. Tell Anakin. I will. (laughs) (laughs) Not fair. Okay, so I had a thought, a galaxy brain thought, about the whole tell Anakin I will thing. So, you know, one of the most uh, poignant moments in Revenge of the Sith is when Obi-Wan says goodbye to Anakin on the skiff before he goes to Utapau. And that's actually, if we're tracking in terms of timelines, that's what Obi-Wan is about to do. He's about to go to um, Utapau. (laughs) So the whole tell Anakin I will thing is Ahsoka almost pushing Obi-Wan to say, you know, "I'm, I'm very proud of you. And, you know, you've become a great friend and uh, I've taught you well and all those things. And that's such a great conversation because it is the last time that they'll talk as brothers. And um, I just feel like in a way this is kind of I can look at that scene now as Ahsoka speaking through Obi-Wan. Oh, wow. That's really nice. <laughs> it's funny because when I first watched this, I I was beside myself at the tell Anakin I will. And then I was like that you'll call later (laughs) tell Anakin to accept my call yeah I think that that can be an interpretation too there's also a little bit of I love you I know almost here yeah I think that you can you can read into uh you know Ben even saying dad and Han saying I know best line like so good you know Mm -hmm. and I think that there's sort of that happening here of we're so much of that is I know we're on the same level. You know, I, I understand what you're trying to say, but can't say it. That's what that yeah. line is is denoting, right? I think yeah. that, and and that's exactly what's happening here. Oh my god, it's so good. It's really good. It's great that Ahsoka, just like one being really, we were so surprised at Ahsoka's conversation with Obi Wan last week, and then to be doubly surprised by it here that it is civil and that they do come to this understanding at the end of it because all like obi-wan anakin and ahsoka they're all very close and like when you fight with people that you're close with like you bounce back from it you know what i mean it's like she like all of that is still there what she also what she said last week is still so true yeah especially when she mentions the council like i hardly think i'm the best person for that it's so yeah, good because it's yeah. fighting because at the same time, Obi-Wan's on the council, but he knows how wrong they are in a lot of ways and how they've been caught up in things. He's mm-hmm. being called out. He's been called out for the past couple of days, right? By Anakin, by Ahsoka, uh, by Ahsoka again. And oh. yeah, and I, I think that he he knows and I think that he genuinely feels bad about the decisions that he had to make when he was on the council to um, expel her, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that it's hard for him to see past his own nose in a lot of ways of what's going on with the with the system that he's a part of. Yeah, like when Ahsoka la- or when Obi Wan last week said, "You're not being fair," and Ahsoka says, "I'm not trying to be." That's that's what you're saying. It's like Obi Wan knows he like that's the thing about this like the sun setting on the Republic is they're all slowly becoming aware. And all of this has just been building on itself. Like like we've been saying, Obi-Wan knows that something is coming. The council knows that something is coming at this point. They know that like Darth Sidious is who they're looking for and they're suspicious of the Chancellor. They don't know what. Like they could never imagine. 
that Sidious is the Chancellor. Just like when we were talking about Obi-Wan and Padme and Anakin at the very beginning of this season, uh, I think it was Dave in the Clone Wars download who said, like, um, Obi-Wan has always, like, always known about Anakin and Padme's feelings for each other. He just never thought, dot, 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 (laughs) that they'd be married. Like, he just, he can't even imagine how bad it's going to be. But I think that, and, and like with Ahsoka too, it's like her saying it, him saying you're not being fair is him acknowledging that she's right, but that he's like, what do you, what do you want me to do? I'm, I'm on the Jedi Council. I, this is what they asked me to do. What do you want from me? You know? Um, but then for them to have this conversation, which is, is calmer than the one they had last week, it's, but and Anakin, like Ahsoka's comments last week were direct, were more directed specifically at Obi-Wan. Whereas this week, it's more about the council rather than Obi-Wan himself, but it's still like, she's still being upset. (laughs) Yeah. I think even just to take a step back, the placement of Obi-Wan in this scene is actually fascinating because he was not really all for the siege to begin with, right? Any sort of placement or helping Mandalore is not something that he was willing to go to bat for, for the council. And yet he's here asking for Ahsoka's help. It's, it's more, it's selfish rather than um, under like helpful for the the fate of the galaxy or even just Mandalore specifically. It's it's interesting because I think that he he really is he has more of his own. I don't know if I would call them self interest, but he's there to speak to Ahsoka and to ask for her help in the same way that he is asking for Anakin's help in Revenge of the Sith to spy on the Chancellor privately. It's all these private conversations that are happening that are not really grounded in pure friendship, but instead, um, I don't know, as the Jedi kind of burn to the ground, Obi-Wan is really definitely caught into it. And these conversations kind of speak for themselves in that way. Yeah. I always think about, like, of course, we're thinking about Revenge of the Sith and and the novelization, which you already brought up this episode. So gold star for you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We should keep a chart somewhere. But, you know, we... We we discuss the notion of the chosen one and who is the one who could actually bring Anakin back from the brink. And I think that, like, in Dave's mind, when he's talking about Ahsoka in this juncture in time and then also in Twilight of the Apprentice, Dave has always been very clear that, like, that's not Ahsoka's role. Like, Ahsoka is never going to be that person for Anakin. As much as we love her, she can't do that. Like, she can't even come really all that close because then it takes away from Luke, who is able to do that in Return of the Jedi. And, like, that's that's the most important moment. But then on, like, the flip side of that, we have, like, Obi-Wan and Anakin in Revenge of the Sith. And Obi-Wan is taken out of the field, like, off of the playing, off of the chessboard, away from Anakin because Palpatine knows that Obi-Wan could bring Anakin back. Like, Obi-Wan could say something in those moments. Like, if Obi-Wan had stayed with Anakin through all of Revenge of the Sith, it wouldn't have happened. And that's why he had to be taken out. And that's, like, so beautiful for Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship. It's sad in this moment because you can see that Obi-Wan is disappointed in himself and what he's having to ask Anakin to do. And even though Obi-Wan is someone who... And I guess I guess we'll never know, actually, if Obi-Wan could have been the person to say something to Anakin so that he didn't fall to the dark side. We'll never know because it didn't happen because Palpatine made sure of it. But I think there's a really good argument that he could have, which is why he had to be taken out. 
and and that's because their bond is so close. So to see Obi-Wan like feel really sad in this moment about what they've been asking Anakin to do and to confide in someone that he knows knows Anakin as well as he does and that's shown in the conversation when Ahsoka is like the chancellor is a friend and a mentor to Anakin like I'm sure he's not happy. <laughs> like she just she says that automatically. Like she knows Anakin so well, and Obi Wan knows that she does, and so that Obi Wan, in a way, like almost doubts what he can say to Anakin or what he wasn't able to say to comfort Anakin, and he asks Ahsoka to do it, almost like on his behalf. Mm-hmm. And it just like it really brings up like how close all of these characters are, but then also how separate they are, and it just it's really sad. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. (laughs) You put this quote in from the making of book that I think is really interesting um, from George Lucas, the Rot's making of book. Obi-Wan always had a suspicion about Anakin. In the beginning, he didn't want Anakin to become a Jedi. He thought of what Qui-Gon, he thought what Qui-Gon was doing was wrong, but the Jedi let Anakin in and made him Obi-Wan's Padawan. Then over the years, he lived with this kid. They fought together and they worked together and they had this very strong bond now. So Obi-Wan is supporting Anakin because they're friends. This is the quote that is great. He's been seduced by the closeness to the situation. And you have this note in here that Ahsoka has been as well. And I think that is so true, Caitlin. They they both have been seduced by how close they are to – they both can't accept – the way that things have turned out, that Anakin has turned to the dark side, that Anakin is part of a greater plan, that things are already in in place. Ahsoka didn't, flat out denies it when Maul says it, and Obi Wan is blind to it. That by by giving him this assignment that he knows is wrong, you know, how can you ask this of me? The Council is asking you um, all those things that he can't really own up to because he knows it's wrong. Um, I still think that he is this line from George Lucas. He's been seduced by the closeness to the situation is uh, so fascinating. Oh yeah. It's, it's a really good line because we often say, you know, seduced to the dark side and Obi-Wan is seduced by his closeness to the situation of Anakin. And it's so true. It's just, you really can't say it any better than that. It really sums up. It sums up so much of the decisions that Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are making in these episodes until the moment when they can't or for Obi-Wan until the moment that he can't. And, you know, we one of our favorite themes that we've talked about on Sky Talkers is the theme of concealment and how Obi-Wan is a really big player in the theme of concealment. Huge player. <laughs> Huge player. <laughs> Tent pole figure in the theme of concealment. concealment. <laughs> but in this in in that's why this this conversation with Ahsoka was so interesting because he's very open about everything that's happening. And I think that shows just how much he is in a way doubtful of what the council has asked Anakin to do, what he's been made to ask Anakin to do. He's so open. The the fact of who they think Sidious is, that he tell we haven't even talked about how he tells Ahsoka that Anakin killed Dooku. Yeah, um, I was like, I'm still was kind of reeling from that. That was one of my major takeaways from the episode of, I don't even know that I would have thought that Obi-Wan would have known that because he was unconscious. And I would have thought that perhaps the story had been um, kind of uh, like twisted by... Yeah, died by crash. Yeah, or like I had no choice but to kill him or something like that. But the way that Obi-Wan says it doesn't lead me to think that he thought that Anakin was like backed into a corner by Dooku. But instead... um, no, he killed him. Like, oh no, like he killed him. That's kind of the the sub the the subtext that I took away from that that line. 
I took away the political subtext of that line. I still don't think Anakin, I still don't think Obi-Wan knows. I think the story has been twisted. Sorry. That's what I'm trying to say three times over. I think the story was twisted and I don't think Obi-Wan is aware of how Dooku died. I think he knows that Anakin died. I think the political subtext that he mentions in this, I guess it's not really subtext, but he was like, Dooku knows who Sidious is, but Anakin killed him. Now we can't get Sidious. Yeah. Because that's what Dooku would have known. So if you bring Maul, then we can know. Okay, so right, like the concealment of it all. Obi-Wan is being so open in this time with Ahsoka where he tells her about the Chancellor, about Sidious, and about Dooku, and about him wanting her to talk to Anakin and how he basically says, like, Anakin is upset with me. Please talk to him. He's being so open. But then we know that he, like... What is he going to conceal from Ahsoka in the next couple of episodes? Are they going to talk? Like, I think there's just, again, like, we're talking about, like, this guilt that, like, we talk about Obi-Wan as a very tragic character because he's going to carry the events of what's happened with him into the desert and into isolation. Does he not want to give some of that burden to Ahsoka? And so he doesn't tell her, but maybe what he doesn't know is that Ahsoka's had this whole conversation with Maul that's been talked about, about Anakin. And so it's all these things that they can't say to one another because if they say it to each other, like if like if Ahsoka talks to Anakin, like we could very easily get Ahsoka talking to Obi-Wan after, after the events of Revenge. I Day. kind of think that's going to happen. I think so too. And there will be like this silence between them. Like, we're talking about Ahsoka remembering this conversation with Maul five years from now. And Obi-Wan knows what happens on Mustafar. And, like, Obi-Wan is probably pretty certain that Anakin has become Vader, right? And maybe Ahsoka is too. But if they don't say it to one another, then they don't have to acknowledge that truth. And that means that it isn't true. And that this person that they were so close to didn't actually become the thing that they were told from other people that he would be. It's just like, it's horribly sad. And it's almost like you can see this scene of them sitting on Bale's ship on the Tantive, this like hologram. And it's like, it's just silent. Like we've been talking about how this, this episode had really great pauses throughout it. And I wonder if we'll get that kind of sorrowful pause at the end of this between them of like, all these things have happened all the things that they carry with them now, these burdens that they don't want to share with each other, but that they both kind of know to be true. Maybe not Ahsoka yet to be decided, but Obi-Wan for sure. And if he keeps that to himself because he doesn't want to impart more tragedy to Ahsoka, but what's going to, like, who's going to know about this conversation with Maul? I don't know. It's just very sad. Super sad. And, like, the also, will Ahsoka become aware of luke and leia too who knows like i honestly don't know (laughs) yeah same they could throw that in there and i wouldn't even be surprised (laughs) no totally not surprised well i mean they easily could because they could still keep with ahsoka not knowing about vader yeah knowing that padme and anakin had a kid and then like anakin died and right I have a question. I was wondering what you think the what's more likely us seeing a conversation between Ahsoka and Anakin, us seeing a conversation between Ahsoka and Obi-Wan again, or a conversation between Ahsoka and Padme? I don't know that now that we've been talking about Ahsoka and and Obi-Wan at the end of all this, I kind of think Ahsoka and Mm Obi-Wan. I mean, they might do like we might get this kind of 
not montage, but the fact that like we have these last conversations with all of these people, it could happen. I'm still so obsessed, especially now with the idea of Ahsoka talking to Anakin after he's fallen, but she doesn't know it. I'm really, I really obsessed want that. with it. I'm <laughs> so obsessed with it. We'll probably write a one shot of it if it doesn't happen. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what do you think? Um, I'm not sure. I think that um, if we're, you're right about the trajectory that we're on, I think that Ahsoka talking to Obi-Wan again makes sense. But I don't know how they're going to even do that with the loss of coded transmissions and everything. Um, we'll see how the that all happens. I know. Will we see Ahsoka? I think so. Oh, my God. That would be so because cool. She, because Obi-Wan is on the ship with Bail. Yeah. I think I that I think that's a really good possibility. I mean, that would be so cool if we got something like that that would feel very, in a way, very Rogue One of going right up to the end point that we all know so well of, you know, Leia and Luke being taken to their new homes. Um, I don't know. That would be super, super cool. Yeah. It's just – yeah, like going all the way through Revenge of the Sith, it's what the end of Rebels did. And we were all so surprised. So they could definitely do that again with Reve- with Revenge of the Sith, yeah. which is really cool to think about, honestly. For sure. Okay. I think I think we've reached the end of the line. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was so much. I know we forgot. When we're going to uh, stop recording, we're going to think about like 5,000 other things that we wish that we talked about. I just my brain hurts from thinking too much at this point. And for those of you that have managed to keep up with this episode with all of our ramblings and just like, oh, what about this? I applaud you. Same. You're the you're troopers. Clone troopers. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys for listening. This is uh this was part two of the Siege of Mandalore. And so we have two more parts. Godspeed to us all. Um, if you liked this episode and want to find us online, you can head on over to Twitter, which is where we're most active. The podcast handle is at SkyTalkersPod. My handle is at Caitlin Plusher, and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We do also have our Facebook and Instagram and website. If you just search SkyTalkers, you'll find us. We also have our email. If you want to shoot us an email, SkyTalkersPodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, it would help us out so, so much if you did. So if you have a few seconds to spare and you want to do something positive for the show that would be a great way to do it and if you want other ways to support us you can also check out our patreon as well yeah and i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons bethany joey jason david jonathan emma aaron dylan fifi kimberly paul Derek, carrie suki albert brandon fiorella marty spencer and jenna thank you guys so much for supporting us your support means the world Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network. 
promoting positivity in fandom.